Hi, everyone, and welcome to the State of State Schools podcast. I'm your host, John Stamper, Christian author, former homeschooler, and former public school teacher. Once a week, I'll give a quick recap of the most important headlines in education and pull back the curtain on what's really happening in our kids' schools. If you're a teacher, parent, or homeschool family, this podcast is for you. Thanks for listening, and let's get started. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode number 10. We have six headlines to get to, all coming from the week of March 6th. So let's get started. Headline number one is a combination of three different stories that all tie in together. From the House government website, a new bill known as the Parents' Bill of Rights was introduced by Louisiana Congresswoman Julia Letlow and House Republicans. The bill, H.R. 5, aims to provide legal protections that ensure parents have a say in their child's education. The bill is based on five principles or pillars. First of all, parents have the right to know what their children are being taught, which means schools must post curriculum and provide a list of books in the library. Second, parents have the right to be heard. For example, there will be at least two parent-teacher conferences per year, and parents have the right to speak at board meetings. Third, Parents have the right to see the school budget and spending. Number four, parents have the right to protect their child's privacy, meaning they have a say when school privacy policies are updated and when their children participate in school surveys. Number five, parents have the right to keep their children safe. So to me, the really big ones are, one, schools posting curriculum and reading materials. And then number two, Parents knowing about the privacy policies because more schools are adopting quote unquote secrecy policies, which I've talked about in previous episodes, where students can change their name at school, their pronouns, their trans identity, and then tell the school they don't want their parents to know about it. So this is definitely something parents should know about. The Louisiana state rep said that during the pandemic, quote, for the first time ever, We sat down and we saw what our children were being taught through the virtual classroom. And when we saw that, so many of us were disheartened with what we were viewing. And so then we did the right thing, right? We went to our school boards and voiced our displeasure, but we were turned away, end quote. Now this leads me to the first story that ties into parental rights. It comes from Fox News. A mother in Rhode Island is being sued by the NEA the National Education Association, which is the nation's largest union, for submitting public records requests to her school. Nicole Solis was following school protocol by submitting the public records request out of concerns that her school would be teaching critical race theory to her young daughter. Then teachers at the school began to notify the mother that her image was being used in staff presentations, painting her as the, quote, number one attack on public education, end quote, and that her public requests have, quote unquote, crippled our school district. She voiced her support for the Parents' Bill of Rights by saying it, quote, is something everyone should support. These are all common sense principles that everybody can agree on across political spectrums, end quote. And there's one last story that ties into this theme of parental rights coming from Fox News. A middle school principal in Arizona sent a staff email concerning a student's preferred pronouns and names, outlining, quote, what can and cannot be shared with families, end quote. The email was obtained through another public records request 
by the same Rhode Island mother who's being sued by the NEA, Nicole Solis. The email that was sent was titled Confidential, and it contained a list of middle school students with their preferred pronouns and transgender names and indicated which students were comfortable with their parents knowing. The principal stated, quote, if you are like me and have been challenged recently to keep some of our kids' pronouns and preferred names straight and to remember what can and can't be shared with families, students in red are not comfortable with us sharing this information with their parents or guardians. It is our responsibility to protect student privacy in these matters, end quote. So apparently there's such a large number of middle schoolers using preferred pronouns and trans names that it's difficult to keep it all straight. The principal justifies keeping things from parents by saying they're just protecting student privacy. But the teacher-student relationship is not more important than the parent-child relationship. That should go without saying. A spokesperson for the school district responded to the issue by saying, quote, this has never been our practice in our school district. We respect any student's preference regarding how they are addressed in school, be it a nickname or a pronoun request. If a parent were to inquire, our staff do not keep this information from parents, end quote. So teachers use preferred pronouns and affirm trans students, and they only tell the parents about it if the parents inquire. This is an incredibly dishonest policy. It 100% deceives and excludes parents from what I think is the most harmful ideology kids are facing right now. Also, the spokesperson for the district said that keeping info from parents is not school policy, which means the principal and every staff member apparently were violating school policy. So if this records request never took place, no parents in the school district would have known what was going on. So my question to you parents out there is, what is your kid's school not telling you? Headline number two comes from the Fairfax Times. Fairfax County School District in Virginia has been in the news again recently because of their proposed co-ed sex ed program and their college prep program that excludes white people and Asians. So a loaded headline here. The school district is considering a new policy that would combine boys and girls from fourth through eighth grades and have them learn sex ed together. Supporters of the program argue that the combined sex ed program will avoid outing trans students at school. Opponents of the program argue that it forces boys and girls into an awkward situation where class participation would decrease or more students would just opt out of the program altogether. An internal survey was completed that showed 85% of the community opposes combining the sex ed programs while only 15% supports. Now, I was an elementary PE teacher in Indiana for nine years. And if a school is going to discuss things like puberty, I think my former school did it right. Once a year, our fourth grade boys would gather in one room. The fourth grade girls would gather in another room. And each group would watch their respective quote-unquote puberty video. Now, I supervised the boys event many times. Before they could even watch the video, each student had to submit a parental consent form, either allowing them to watch the video or to opt out. 
Parents also had the option to come into the school to sit in on the video. So as the teacher, I was on the hot seat having to answer questions with the boys' fathers in the room with me. But I think that's about as good as you can do it in a public school. My job was to play the video, basically do crowd control, and then answer questions afterward. And I can tell you, it was incredibly awkward for the boys. I can't imagine how awful it would have been if their girl classmates were in there with them. I mean, it takes a lot of courage for a nine and 10 year old boy to ask an honest question about their changing body in front of all of their friends and classmates. They often get made fun of for it or laughed at simply for asking a question. Now imagine that extending to the girls as well. So I can say from experience that combining at this young age is a bad idea. The same school district recently sent an email out to parents notifying them of an opportunity for their eighth graders to enroll in a college prep course, but only black and Hispanic students could apply. One of the program's goals is to increase the number of underrepresented students, quote unquote, who enroll in college. The program offers benefits such as counseling, help submitting applications, monthly meetings, family sessions, and summer learning opportunities, all things that non-black and non-Hispanic students would miss out on simply because of their race. The program seems to violate the school district's anti-discrimination policy, which states, and I'll only mention the qualifiers that apply to children, quote, no applicant or employee on the basis of race, sex, color, age, national origin, and disability, no applicant shall be denied the benefits of or be subjected to discrimination under any education program or activity as required by law. So the school's own policy says students can't be denied the benefits of an education program based on their race or national origin as required by law. Seems like a clear violation to me. So parents, if this is happening in your school, speak up and point out the issues. Teachers and school leaders should be encouraging and motivating and inspiring students, all students, to achieve the highest goals. Kids need adults to believe in them, not lower standards, or take from one group and give to another. We should lift people up, not pull people down. Headline number three comes from the Christian Post. The Austin Independent School District in Austin, Texas, is celebrating its annual LGBTQIA Pride Week at the end of March. The district-wide celebration lines up with the National LGBT Health Awareness Week and will provide students and staff with quote-unquote pride swag, which consists of pride and ally stickers, posters, flags, pronoun buttons, and more. Students and staff will celebrate their sexuality together. Let me say that again. Students and staff will celebrate their sexuality together by taking part in themed activities throughout the week. A few examples are, all are welcome, differences are awesome, pride in you, creative expression, and local pride and spirit day. Those are some of the themes. The district's website says that each school will be provided with resources and suggested activities to quote, engage, educate, and inspire, end quote, it's 75,000 students. What those resources and activities are is unknown. How students will be quote unquote, engaged, educated, and inspired is also unknown. 
when I taught for Chicago Public Schools, my school also celebrated Pride Week where teachers and K through eight students were given LGBTQ pins at school. They could sign up as LGBTQ allies in the hallway and teachers were given the pride flag to hang on their classroom doors. So everyone would know who did and did not celebrate Pride Week. Elementary students drew pictures celebrating Pride Week and kindergarten teachers were encouraged to discuss the gender unicorn, which teaches five-year-olds that they can be any gender they want and they can be attracted to any gender they want, a boy, a girl, or some other gender. There are no permission slips for this week-long school event. This is not required curriculum and the resources in engaging activities are unknown. So if I'm a parent in that school district, I have a lot of questions. First of all, why are adults requiring children as young as five years old to celebrate any type of sexuality with them? I wonder, when will all these festivities take place? After math? Before history? Or will schools just skip those less important subjects that week? Hmm. Well, students may not be able to read or do math at grade level, but hey, I bet they really love their pronoun buttons. Headline number four. This is a follow-up story from last episode from the Daily Wire. On February 23rd, a school board in Arizona chose to end its contract with Arizona Christian University over concerns of the university's Christian beliefs. The decision took away the opportunity for college students to gain field experience, and it also took away much-needed recruitment opportunities for the school. Well, Arizona's Superintendent of Public Instruction, Tom Thorne, expressed his outrage over the school board's decision, stating, quote, There's nothing more outrageous than religious prejudice. Prejudice of all kinds has been responsible, in my opinion, for almost all of the evil in the history of humankind. And the person who raised this on the school board describes herself as a, quote, neurodivergent queer, end quote. And when she says that, she expects you to be tolerant of her. So I think that's a great point. Three of the five school board members uh, on this school board are LGBTQ and fully expect the entire district to accept and respect their beliefs, yet they aren't willing to do the same for others. So that's a one-sided hypocritical view. He said that no teacher should push their ideology on students, according to state guidelines. However, in his 24 years as a school board member in Arizona, the best college for training teachers was Grand Canyon, a Christian university, and that his school board wanted as many of their teachers as possible because that Christian university was the best at preparing teachers for the classroom. Mr. Thorne finished by saying, quote, there's a battle between the normal and the crazy. Those of us who want the normal We've got to organize. We've got to fight back. We've got to elect people to statewide office and local office and school board office. And we've got to fight back and we've got to bring the country back to normal, end quote. We often hear during these gender ideology, critical race theory debates that students have a right to see themselves represented in the school, which justifies teaching radical ideologies to kids. Well, if that's the case, then where's all the representation for the born again Christians out there? School libraries have books on transgenderism and queer sex. Where are all the Bibles and daily devotionals? So I'm glad to see the superintendent stand up for normalcy in the state and take a strong stand against these ideologies. I think teachers and families should follow suit. Headline number five comes from the Post Millennial. 
The Seattle Public School District notified its teachers that they might be laid off next year after thousands of students have left the school system. The school system projects a budget shortfall of over $200 million over the next two years, despite receiving millions of dollars of COVID relief funds during the pandemic. Where that money went, no one really knows. The district also projects that it could lose over 12% of its enrollment in the next two years. So why are so many families pulling their kids from Seattle's public schools? Well, some parents are concerned about increased school violence, radical ideologies being taught in schools, homeless camps on or near the school grounds, BLM and Antifa riots, autonomous zones, removal of police from school campuses, removing special needs programs, and removing gifted programs in the name of equity. Consequently, the homeschool population in the state of Washington has doubled since the COVID school closures. So there's a pretty good lesson here. Few cities, if any, have been more woke or more progressive over the last few years than Seattle. And I just listed a handful of major issues that have taken over the city and the schools. So seeing the homeschool population double in the state, I think will be a great thing for those families. As always, I strongly suggest homeschooling if you can, but if you cannot homeschool, and of course not every family is able to, I give about a dozen ways in my book that you can get involved in your kid's school and push back against these destructive ideologies that are taken over. For example, start a parent group that sits in with the curriculum adoption committee, run for school board positions, and require your school to post its special events, special speakers, and what their talking points will be. For more, you can check out my book at uh, www.masterbooks.com backslash conflicted or buy it on Amazon. Headline number six is our final headline coming from the Christian Post. Arkansas becomes the fifth state to pass universal school choice. Senate Bill 294, also known as the LEARNS Act, outlines a plan to adopt school choice by the 2025-26 school year. The bill gives students 90% of what schools receive per student in state funding, which can then be used for public education, private schooling, or homeschooling. In addition, the bill raises the minimum teacher salary to 50K per year, bans the instruction of certain ideologies like critical race theory, and bans sex ed before fifth grade. So school choice is a very tricky topic, and I will point you all to two different resources that you should check out for yourselves. Both are links provided on this episode's page. One is classicalconversations.com, and the other is an article I've shared before called Vouchers, Shekels with Shackles, from christedu.org. And again, both of those will be on the episodes page. So I am not the number one resource on school choice info, but I will say this. I think school choice is bad for homeschoolers. And if I were homeschooling, I would not accept any vouchers, tax dollars, or set up an education savings account. The reason is that tax dollars or any dollars that are allocated by government agencies will come with attached government oversight and regulation. Government only grows in power and influence. It never gets smaller. So that's my number one concern about school choice is inviting the government into my home. However, 
If you are a family who is 100% sticking with public schools and you can't homeschool, you're not going to homeschool for whatever reason, then I do think school choice is the lesser of two evils. If you're 100% sticking with public school, school choice is a lesser of two evils. It's better than the current setup. So on average, public schools spend about $14,000 per student per year, while homeschoolers spend about $600 per student per year. So what if you're a homeschool family and you could use a little help financially, but you don't want to take tax dollars or government funds? Well, near the end of that vouchers article I'm sharing with you, there are ideas and suggestions for ways families can privately fund their homeschoolers. So be sure to check that out. All right, everybody, that's all we have. That's the state of state schools. Take care.